God, we love you, and we are thankful for all that you bless us with, God, especially during this time of Advent where we, where we just get to think about and we get to reflect on the coming of Jesus. God, I just, I'm so thankful, and I'm thankful for the ways in which you have, uh, you have helped us. I'm thankful for the ways in which you have come alongside of us, and uh, God, I just specifically pray right now for the kids that we have hang on that tree out there. We just pray for each of them. We don't know their individual situations. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know that, uh, that you have put them with Casa for a reason, God, and you have partnered us with Casa for a reason. So we pray for these students. We pray that you would just uh, guide them, that you would bless them, that you would give them a sense of hope and belonging and love during this season, uh, especially coming out of some, some really tough situations. And so, God, we just... We just pray a special blessing over those students this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are starting a brand new series this morning. It is our Advent series. Uh, and uh, really, what I want to do this Advent is, is really just talk about the coming of Jesus. <laughs> that sounds uh, ironic, but that's exactly what I want to talk about. You know, Advent literally means coming. It's a season where we reflect on the coming of Jesus. It's a season where we think about the baby in the manger. We think about Jesus coming and we think about why he came, what he came to do, who he came to be. But we don't just look back during Advent. We look forward as well. We look forward to the second coming of Jesus. We are waiting in the same way that we just heard in our reading this morning, that we wait in the same way that they waited. They had the faith to wait and we should have the faith to wait. And we look forward in the same way that those who came before Jesus look forward to his coming with anticipation. And all year, we have been diving into scripture with sort of a, a magnifying glass, right? We have been taking sort of deep looks into different pieces of scripture. Uh, and that's exactly what I want to continue to do during this series. We're going to spend some time looking at uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Jesus. Uh, you know, this, I, I thought about just calling this series the expected one. You know, this is, he, he was expected. They were, there's prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that talk about the coming of Jesus. And so we're going to spend some time looking at some of these prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look at the New Testament as well to look at Jesus. But what we're going to do over the course of this series and see over the course of the series that Jesus really was the expected one. People looked, looked toward, looked forward to. They had been hoping for the day when the Messiah was born. I think some of the passages that we're going to read over the series are probably going to be a little familiar. The today's will be probably very familiar as we jump into Advent. But uh, I'll just say this. Each of these passages we want to look at really through, through two different lenses. And then we're going to kind of see what it means for us today. We're going to look at each of these passages through, first of all, a historical lens. And second of all, a prophetic lens. We're going to look at this historical lens and see what, what, where was this written to? Who was who he writing to? Who are the, who's the author writing to? It's a heat today. Uh, who was the author writing to? What was going on? Now we're going to look at a prophetic lens. Okay, what is this, what is this pointing to? What is this alluding to? What is this pushing us forward to? And so we're going to look at those lenses and try and think about what does this passage mean for us today, Christmas 2021? What does this look like for us? And so we're going to start this morning, like I said, with probably a more familiar passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to spend a few weeks in the book of Isaiah. This one's going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, if you're in one of our pew Bibles, need some help find us on page 593. Uh, and again, I think probably this is going to sound familiar, at least when we get to the end here, maybe. Uh, but I want us to look at this with 
with maybe a fresh perspective this morning. And so let's read together. Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor the Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For, in the day, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's our passage for this morning. I want to just, just unpack it with these two lenses that I was talking about. First of all, the historical lens. What was happening during this time? What is, what is Isaiah writing to? What, what atmosphere is he prophesying into? Well, during this time, we, from, from what we know, the best that we know, this is around the 8th century BC. Assyria was incredibly strong at this time, and they were in the process of basically taking over the entire area. They were trying to take over the entire area, including Israel, including uh, Syria, including all of these other places, Assyria is the strong one, Syria is not, right? So there's, they sound the same, but, uh, you know, Israel sort of forms a, a coalition of sorts with Syria to kind of help and try to help push back on Assyria, who is coming and, and trying to take over everything. They are about to be beaten, their land is about to be taken, and God speaks hope into this situation, Right, there, is, there is war that is happening or about to happen at this time, which is why when you read this passage, you see, and even in chapter 8, we'll get to in a little bit, you see kind of verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood. Like there's, this, is, this is language that is not necessarily just figurative. Like There are literally things going on here where this is the case. All right, this, is, this is the historic lens to which this is coming, but this is a message of hope in this kind of awful time in their history. Well, what about, a, what about a prophetic lens? What is this looking forward to? Well, this is looking forward to the gospel. This is about the gospel. This is about God saying, I'm going to bring about everything that I said that I would do. This is about Jesus. How do I know that this is about Jesus? Well, you go to the book of Matthew. We're going to skip around a bunch today. You can keep up if you want. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 12. Just listen to this. This is right after Jesus uh, has been baptized. This is right after Jesus has gone into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus is just beginning his ministry here. And here's what happens in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went... Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Does that sound familiar? It should. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, 
land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that day, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we're hearing in the book of Matthew that this, is, this prophecy in the book of Isaiah is being fulfilled. So what is this prophecy alluding to? What is this looking forward to? It's looking forward to Jesus. It's looking forward. It's clearly a passage about the coming of Jesus Christ. It's a promise of his eventual coming, and it's not just, not just any promise. You look at the end of this passage in Isaiah that we read, and this is a promise that 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 God says in verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is not just a promise. This is a promise that is sealed. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is going to happen. You can trust that this is going to happen. I'm not sure there's a clear way to get that across than to say the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I'm pretty sure if the zeal of the Lord Almighty was, said he was going to accomplish anything, that would be done. Right? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So, so what I want to undo, what I, I want to do today, not undo, <laughs> that's kind of weird. What I want to do today is I want to just kind of, I want to look at this passage in in a way that, that we haven't really done here yet before. I want to unpack it sort of from beginning to end and just see, see what Isaiah is saying is going to happen. You know, oftentimes we look at this passage and we, we kind of just focus on that one verse that has the names of Jesus in there. And we'll do that a little bit this morning. We're, I'm, I'm not going to go super deep into that, but, but we, well, we can, but we're not going to probably unless I do it. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we're, I want to just kind of unpack what is actually going on here with Isaiah. What, what is this, this promise of the coming Jesus? What does this mean? What is Isaiah getting to? Because this is what he's talking about. This, he's talking about the promise of a coming Messiah, a coming King. He's talking about the coming Jesus. He's talking about this promise that God has given. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is a promise of God. That a son would be given. So what, is this, what does this promise bring? I think if you read this passage, you see... First of all, this promise brings light into darkness. This promise of the coming king brings light into darkness. Verse 1 is a verse that kind of changes the tone of the whole atmosphere surrounding this passage. I mean, you go backwards, even just two verses, verse 21 and 22 of chapter 8, and here's what happens. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their god. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's the atmosphere that, that Isaiah is, is speaking into. He's speaking into a, a dark atmosphere, distressed and hungry, right? There's, there's dark, there is utter darkness. I mean, nevertheless, in verse 9, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. There, there's great darkness that is going on. And, and this, this promise of the coming king brings light into that darkness. He's saying this is, this is the way things are, but it's not the way things are going to be. 
This is the way things were, but it's not the way that they're going to be. It's not how it will be. There is a, a contrast between this utterly chaotic time, time of darkness, of fearful gloom, utter darkness, to a time where, where the light has dawned. The light has come. There is light in the darkness. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I want to skip ahead to another, another gospel passage in the book of John. I want to just, just see how, how Jesus kind of fulfills this promise of the coming king in terms of bringing light into darkness. You read the book of John, and John talks a lot about this, this contrast between light and dark. You see in verse chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And if you skip down to verse 14, you see that the word is Jesus. Verse 4, in him, Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus bringing light into darkness. Skip ahead to chapter 3. Uh, we know 3.16 pretty well, but let's, let's go past that a little bit to 3 verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You skip over to chapter 8, 8 verse 12. Let me get there for a second. Chapter 8. Starting at verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Skip ahead a few more chapters. Chapter 12, 12 verse 35. <laughs> I told you we'd be skipping all over the place today. 12 verse 35 says this. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. John, all, and all throughout scripture, Jesus is the light. Right? This, this promise of the coming king, the expected one. Right? This promise that we see in Isaiah chapter 9 that, that this is going to happen. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This promise brings light into darkness. It also brought hope into hopelessness. It brought light into darkness. It brought hope into hopelessness. Back in Isaiah chapter 9, or back, actually back in chapter 8, you see just a glimpse of the hopelessness that these people are living in. In chapter 8, verse 4, it says, For before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. You are going to be taken over by Assyria. Right, you get to verse 9 and 10. Uh, Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. 
Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. He says that three times in that verse. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. It will be shattered. Verse 20 to 22. Consult God's instruction in the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they do not have, or they have no light of dawn. And then we get to the verses we read. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And this is the, this is the hopelessness that Isaiah is speaking into. This is a, a hopeless situation, but the coming of Christ is going to bring hope. What kind of hope? You get to verse 3. You have enlarged the nation. Wait, what? They, they were just getting destroyed one nation earlier, but now you're going to, in chapter earlier, now, now their, their nation is going to be enlarged. You have increased their joy. Remember what the shepherds told, uh, remember what the angel told the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? Think about this. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Great joy. Mega joy is actually the word there. Great news of mega joy. (laughs) I'm going to bring you joy. This is what Isaiah says too. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now why is this mega joy that Isaiah is talking about here? Think about these situations they're rejoicing over. They're rejoicing at the harvest. Why would they rejoice at the harvest? Because if the harvest doesn't come, they die. Why Why would the warriors rejoice as they're dividing up the plunder? Because they've won. These are life and death situations here. But they have joy. He keeps going. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. That's that's the hope of the gospel as well. That the burdens would be be released. You get to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, 28 through 30 says this. That was chapter 12. 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Right. There are so many different connections that we could bring with chapter 9 of Isaiah and Jesus. But this is just, just another one. He's, he brings light into the darkness. He brings hope into hopelessness. Here's the last thing. He brings, really, God. He brings himself into godlessness. What is it that brings the light into the darkness? What is it that brings hope into hopelessness? It's a baby that's born. And his name is Jesus. 
It's a child being born into the world. This actually isn't even the first time in Isaiah that we've heard this language about a son being born. You go back just one, two chapters to chapter 7, verse 14, and here's what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. They'll call him Emmanuel. Now, this is the verse that the angel uses in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. It talks about this is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. And who is the God that will be with us? He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. Now, I guess we just we can't not talk about these names that Isaiah gives to Jesus here. Oh, we've been talking all year about how important names are. We have to talk about these names because these are, these are important names, especially speaking to these people in a very dark, hopeless, lightless time. Jesus is going to be the wonderful counselor, the son that would be given. He's the wonderful counselor. The words here, the original words there are Pele Yoez. Pele is literally a word to tell you that there are no words to see how wonderful something is. It's literally a word that they had to say, like, it's too wonderful for words. Yoez is, is counselor, to advise, to, to consult, to guide. This is the counselor that was going to be given to these people. This, this wonderful counselor, too wonderful for words, coming right into the midst of this hopeless, dark time. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a guide. And this, this is... This is also the gospel. Have you ever gone through a dark time, needed some help, need to figure out how to, how to approach something or someone, and you go to the, to the great counselor? I mean, even just the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 14, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, that's where I was thinking. Listen, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, and this high priest is Jesus, by the way, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, this great, wonderful counselor, there is nothing that, that these people had going on in their lives, and there's nothing that you have going on in your life that God has not seen and gone through in Jesus. Amen. We have a wonderful counselor. Now, this is, this is good news this morning. Amen. This is really good news this morning, that he is going to be the wonderful counselor. It's comforting to me to know that no matter what I'm going through, I have the great counselor who's been there, who's seen it before, who can help me through and guide me through. He's not only the wonderful counselor, though, he's the mighty God. Now, mighty God, this is, I mean, the words are pretty there. He's a mighty God. We have words that we've kind of introduced to talk about the mighty God. We have omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. Omniscient, that he is all-knowing. Omnipresent, he is everywhere at all times. We know that we can, we, we can verbalize and we have words to describe how mighty God is. But you can imagine from a people coming in this dark place with no light, fearful gloom is how it was described. To know that this son that was going to be given would be the mighty God. 
The one who could overcome. The one who could, who could get through. The one who was strong enough to defeat this, this mighty God. You can imagine the hope that comes with a mighty God. In Jeremiah chapter 32, I think is a good verse to just talk about how, how mighty God is. This, this is Jeremiah kind of trying to verbalize how, he, how mighty he is. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And he says this, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. That's Jeremiah 32, 17. Nothing is too hard for you. This is a mighty God. You can imagine the hope that comes in hearing that this this son is going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. Right? He's, he's the eternal father. Not just a father to some, but a father to all at all times. He is the eternal father. He's compassionate, caring father who is there for you in your darkest times. And he's the prince of peace. The words here, Sar Shalom. Sar which is where we get the word czar. It's the one in charge, czar, Caesar, all come from this word. Shalom. It's a greeting, but it's more than that. It means peace, tranquility, wholeness. We have the, the prince of peace. And when we come underneath the lordship of the prince of peace, we can have his peace. Now, just imagine yourself, you are in 8th century B.C. Israel, about to be overcome by the Assyrians, who are coming to take over, and not just take over, but just destroy everything. And Isaiah comes in and he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Amen. There's a sun that has been given. And he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You can imagine how encouraging this word would be for those listening to this. But I want you to, to see this. It didn't happen right away. We're talking 8th century B.C. It didn't happen right away. It did happen. Jesus did come. But times got hard for the people who Isaiah was writing to. We've talked a lot about that during our time in the Old Testament this year. But he says to them, look, things are going to change. And they're going to change through the birth of this baby boy. And he we will call it a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We can put our hope in this. And that's exactly what they did. They put their hope in this promise. Isaiah finishes with verse 7 here. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This, this is the promise. The king is coming. Amen. The king is coming. The savior is coming. And God is going to make sure this happens. This is the promise. People were waiting with expectation for the day that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. It's, it's why the shepherds left and chased the star. It's why the wise men came to see him. It's why the king was so afraid when he heard what the angels had told the wise men. There was a promise of his coming. And they were waiting with expectation. What does this mean for us? 
We are not at a place where we're about to get conquered. We're not even in a place where we really face persecution as much as people like to say we do. We're just not there. But we are, just like these people, in a time of waiting. Just like the reading for this morning, we are on the other side of their promise. But we have another promise, that he will come again. This is our advent. This is what we are waiting with expectation for. They had a promise of this coming Messiah who is going to come, who is going to to save them, who is going to help them. We are on this side of that promise. We have a Messiah who has come, who has saved us. Now we're on this side of another promise, that the Messiah will come once again. That he will come again. He will come for his people. If you read the end of the book, you know that God will make it happen. (laughs) God is going to make it happen. We have a God who brings light into darkness. We have a God who brings hope into hopelessness. We have a God who reveals himself when we feel like there is no way. And we wait in expectation for the promise of a coming. The coming Messiah. He is coming again. In the same way that the people that Isaiah is talking to here find themselves in a place where they are are waiting for the Messiah to come. They are waiting for the promise to be fulfilled that this, this Messiah would come. We find ourselves waiting. And this is where I really want to just, just start off with Advent. We find ourselves waiting. We find ourselves waiting for the coming of the Messiah in the same way that they did. This is what Christmas, this is what Advent is all about. Jesus has come, but we wait for his coming. And we have a promise that he will come. We have the promise of his coming. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, this morning we just uh, we come around these this this time of Advent. We see this candle lit. We hear the reading of of hope. And God, this week our we, our hope is in you. In the same way that these people that Isaiah was writing to had to. They place their hope in this promise of a coming king, a coming Messiah. God, we place our hope in the promise that you will come again. I think that's a great place to just start in Advent as we start this season of reflection, as we start this season of, of hope, and we start this season of expectation. God, we just pray that you would move in our lives, that you would speak into our hearts and into our minds. That you would guide and direct us during this season, that you would teach us, shape us, mold us into who you're calling us to be. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As do, let me just say a blessing over you. May our God, God of grace, God of truth, 
God of hope. May he just remind you this week of his love for you. The love that made him send his son for you. May you be reminded of that love. May you have just be encouraged and emboldened by that love that you might make a difference wherever you may find yourself. And may you always remember that we right now are waiting for the second coming. May you live in expectation for that. Go in the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. It's good to see you all.